You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. Steve, we're now on the heels of the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention, and both conventions addressed COVID, of course, but they took different approaches. Can you tell us about those different approaches and and what happened? Sure. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Yeah, it's true. Both of the conventions, they shared one thing. They had one thing in common, which is they had to talk about the pandemic and they had to put the pandemic at the center of things, but they took very different approaches. So let me just quickly give a snapshot summary of how I think they compared to one another. The Democratic National Convention, they began with the pandemic is the is the defining failure of the current Trump administration and the numbers speak for themselves. So they started with how many million cases they came back to how many fatalities and they were saying we are, you know, we are a stark standout failure and we have to fix that and we own this problem Um and that the failure is the failure in managing the pandemic is a disqualifying factor in terms of the current President Trump's legitimacy and standing and claim to want to be reelected. And this was central to the argument that came from President Obama, as well as from Michelle Obama and others. They made the argument that dealing with the pandemic is fundamental to economic recovery. It's a prerequisite. They made the point that we are at the beginning, not at the end that this is persisting and we need a plan. And that plan has to come back to the basics. And so they talked about all of the basics in terms of testing, capacity, getting the markets correct, using the authorities of of the government on key things that are required, uh, being very pro-science, elevating science. Science must be respected. They did bring in this young woman, uh, Urquiza, to deliver a testimonial. Her father, 65-year-old father, a Republican voter for Trump, had died in a very quick case of COVID. And she used this as a very stark kind of expression of outrage and indictment. The way the event was managed was a statement in and of itself, in a statement of discipline. In other words, people were wearing masks. It was entirely virtual. Uh, There was social distancing, visible on the inside events and the outside events, including when they went in their trucks and had the little fireworks display. It was very cautious and very disciplined. On the international leadership side, restoring WHO, a very visible priority. And they identified who the team members are who are going to guide and shape all of this. Former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, former FDA Chief David Kessler, Zeke Emanuel, Nikki Lurie, former Assistant Secretary at Asper. So they were very open. This is our team. This is where we're going. So the, the Republican National Convention was a was a different story. Um, it was claiming success at getting control over this. It was saying it's in the past. They used the past tense to describe the pandemic. They claimed it was someone else's responsibility, that it was a it was it was coming from an external foe, China in league with WHO. The China virus. The China virus was used. They were talking about this is a struggle with our own deep state. We can talk more about this, but 
the president, you know, beginning Saturday evening before the Monday advent of the convention started talking about the deep state within FDA. And then Melania offset some of the kind of hard edgy stuff by expressing compassion for the victims in a very strong statement. She was very empathetic. She was very empathetic and very powerful and stood with the victims and made clear that that we had to do that. There were testimonials from health providers as well as other first responders. You remember the president interacted with this field of six or seven first responders of some description, you know, uh, police, health providers, and the like. And a a couple of the health providers gave personal testimonials uh, that were very compelling. They did not have a plan. Biden came with a plan and said, we're not at the end of this. We're still in the midst of this and we've got to start with the basics and we've got to move forward. There was no platform and there was no plan. And last point I'd make is that it was a flagrant disregard. The way the event was managed was highly symbolic as a flagrant defiance. It was defiance of the public health measures. It wasn't the Biden folks embraced social disciplining, the masks, the virtuality of the event. Whereas we had 1,500 people not wearing masks for the most part. Alex Azar wore his mask, but the 1,500 people, no masks, no social distancing in a confined space outdoors, but still jammed together for a very long period of time. No testing offered beforehand for those 1,500 people. I don't even think they did temperature tests. I'm not sure about that. But the symbolism and the message coming through was just flagrant defiance and disregard uh, of this. And that was bold and radical, very radical. So those are, I think, a pretty fair summary of kind of where the pandemic sat in the two respective conventions, Andrew. Well, it was one thing that really surprised me about the scene you just described. Of course, that was Thursday night at the convention during President Trump's speech on the White House lawn out back. It was reported that one senior White House aide said, when asked, did he think it was dangerous, this situation of 1,500 plus people sitting so close to each other, unmasked, untested, and so on, did he think it was dangerous? And the aide responded reportedly, well, everyone's going to get it at some point. And that was surprising to me. It, It seems like there's a very different notion of where we are with coronavirus on the Republican side than we are on the Democratic side. Do you believe that the Republican side believes that we're sort of through this and the Democratic side believes that we're just entering the second or third wave? I I think that for the purposes of this electoral campaign, uh, President Trump and the campaign has chosen a storyline that we're past it. And by the way, the vaccine is coming. And this is another point I did not make. The message of we're going to get it earlier than we even said before, and we're going to get it. Before the end of the year. Or by even even before that. Yeah, he said that, yeah. And so, and then you had the statements made about the plasma, convalescent plasma. Big breakthrough, 35% of lives are going to be extended or saved because of this. So making flagrantly incorrect claims around that was trying to say we've, we, we're past the worst of this, We're on a path to resolving this. We've got therapy and we've got vaccines on the wings. Whereas Biden was, we're still in the thick of this crisis and we don't, we haven't 
addressed the fundamentals and we're, and the strategy we're going to pursue is going to be building the fundamentals within this country in a very dramatic way. We're going to have a national policy on masks. I mean, he went through six or seven very detailed points around what is in our plan. With Trump, it was, we're going to have a vaccine and we've got these, this new plasma convalescent therapy and we're not going to be deterred. I think on the question around getting 1,500 people to come together and be guinea pigs for what could become a rather large super spreader event. You know, I mean, the incubation period is five to seven days and then afterwards. So we won't know whether this becomes a very high scale super spreader event. But why did they take that risk and why did people comply with that? Well, I think the president dominated all of the calculations and he was hellbent, I believe, I think it's fair to say. I think he was just hellbent in being able to have a live, dramatic, very vocal, very enthusiastic crowd on the grounds of the White House. And the visuals were powerful. I mean, you can say, look, this was putting it all on the grounds with all of these civil servants was was another defiance of the Hatch Act. The visuals were powerful. And having 1,500 people there cheering and with all of the beauty and majesty of the White House and the way that they did this show, the production values were off the charts. I mean, that was what he wanted. And and people fell in line with that. And whether we have a trail of infections all over this country for when those 1,500 people go off to wherever they go after this, I'm sure many of them are not living in Washington, D.C., but are coming in from somewhere else. That remains to be seen as to whether this ignites clusters of transmission in communities all over this country. We'll see. So, yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, one of the things, too, that is interesting is going back to the president's discussion about convalescent plasma, which is, you know, something that's been used as a treatment kind of as a last resort to help people who when where nothing else was working and has worked in limited cases. He's talking about, you know, prophylactic therapies that don't exist yet. He's talking about a vaccine that doesn't exist yet. But he accused Joe Biden of not following the science. What did he mean by that? Well, you know, the, he throws out claims uh, that are very selective around different statements made at different points, right? I mean, there was a period of time earlier in this year when people were making arguments, people of all sorts of different political persuasions were making arguments against wearing masks, right? Because they were in short supply, people didn't know about the asymptomatic transmission and aerosolized transmission, and that all changed. So, Doctors and nurses needed them more than anybody. Yeah. So, so um, you know, you can look back at that and say, well, he was anti-science. Well, everybody was anti-science in that, in that form, if you want to take it out of context in that. Why was he, uh, otherwise, why was he doing this? I think it's, I think it's just one of these charges being leveled. It was, it's a very typical Trumpian kind of mode here to be very anti-science in alleging that there's a deep state within the FDA that's deliberately slowing down field trials, when I think he went NIH, and that the delays in approval of the plasma convalescent plasma therapy is is a plot as well. So you can be very anti-science in this kind of conspiracy context of saying they're out to get me and I'm not going to let that happen and I'm not going to keep this away from you. 
I'm not, I'm going to bring this to you. I'm going to bring these solutions to you and I'm going to liberate them and bring them to you. So those people on the other side who are arguing caution and field trials and rigor may be seen as, oh, they're just so excessive at this that they're denying people what they need to have in order to get there. And I think we'll hear the same argument when we get to a decision by FDA of whether or not to provide emergency use authorization for some of the vaccines that come forward with some of the first early reports. And we're going to have this debate again and again and again about is this decision premature and politicized or is it timely but based on science and something that we can support and that the American people can support. I think that all of this drama around the FDA to have Trump do his late Saturday night tweets about the deep state FDA. They appointed this woman, Emily Miller, as a press spokesperson. She was sacked after just 11 days, but she came in. They had Han on Sunday evening, 6 p.m. press conference with Han as our President Trump makes this claim about 35% efficacy at reducing mortality by the plasma convalescent therapy. That was an outrageous misrepresentation and caused a firestorm uh, within the scientific and public health community. They had to walk that back. It caused another eruptions. The net result of all of this is that the American public's skepticism around this administration and its adherence to science and to truthfulness around what is coming forward has been damaged significantly by what's happened here. And so it's going to be that much more difficult to get convinced people that a vaccine coming forward is indeed safe and effective and not being manipulated for political reasons, much like we're seeing with Russia and China, which are moving these forward without phase three field trials, giving them to their own citizens, sometimes coercively, and trying to tell the rest of the world, hey, this is we're going to give this to you too, because we want to be kind to you. And where are we going to sit? In that, in that race, it's pretty clear that the pressures are really full on uh, upon FDA to try and get that vaccine out as quickly as possible, if not before the election on November 3rd. Now, the memorable thing that Biden said at the DNC convention was that no miracle is coming in his acceptance speech. He said no miracle is coming. What is the plan coming from the Democrats the plan is to have national policies on testing, on making judgments around the vaccines, uh, safety and efficacy, on having a much stronger commitment to using the Defense Production Act authorities in order to bring forward the critical inputs on a timely and affordable basis so that you don't have a breakdown in marketplaces building local capacity to test, quarantine, isolate, contact trace, having a, a national policy around mask wearing, depoliticize masks, all of those things, re-elevate and revalidate uh, scientific institutions, CDC, NIH, FDA, and empower them. Don't cripple them, em empower them to lead. And so they had, I thought, a very concrete, and, and if you go read the platform, it's got all of this in it. Whereas... Trump had no platform. They took, they had a one-page statement that was basically a reiteration of Make America Great Again. Yeah, the platform was support President Trump. Yeah. And so 
no plan other than what they said, which is help is on its way in terms of these new therapies and help is going to be on its way faster than you realize in terms of vaccines. But the Republicans clearly at their convention addressed the issue in the way that they wanted to. And the way they wanted to was, as you just said, therapy's coming, vaccine is coming, we're putting this behind us, we're reopening America, we're reigniting the economy to what it was, to its greatness before COVID struck. What is the message that the Democrats were trying to convey on their side? Because it was pretty clear what the Republicans were conveying. Was it as clear in your mind what the Democrats were trying to convey as well? I think so. I mean, look, Trump was creating an alternate reality, right? And it was detached from reality. And, you know, the the reality of 6 million cases, the reality of heading quickly towards 200,000 deaths, the reality of very high unemployment, continuing to th- lose almost 1,000 people a day to this, they didn't shy. They spoke about those and they conveyed the stories. They conveyed the stories very vividly of people talking about the consequences. I mentioned this young woman, Ukizia, talking about her father and saying, you know, that listening to Trump was the was the biggest mistake that father made. But it, it went beyond just poking at Trump. It also was trying to bring across the reality of the suffering and the dislocation that communities are living with today and and the need to have a strategy to get out of that, have a strategy that is realistic, grounded in science and long-term versus versus claiming that it's behind us because it's not behind us. It's right in front of us and it's going to continue well into next year. I, I think that Biden and the Democratic Party are as enthusiastic, but cautious, but as enthusiastic about what a vaccine may mean, but not wanting to not wanting to see the, see the manipulation of that in October, right before the elections. I think that's a fearful thing. And I don't know that anybody yet has a good answer for how, if there is a, a premature declaration in October, how does the Biden campaign deal with that? They have been very vocal around what the requisites are for making an informed decision. But you can imagine what the, you saw what happened before the Republican convention with the sales marketing program for the plasma convalescent therapy. I mean, it was off the charts. And then, of course, they walk it back two days later, but people aren't paying attention to that. People are paying attention to this. We've got this breakthrough. It's 35% effective. Go for it without any explanation for what it really does and how are you going to get to it? Because that's all, those are, those are all questions that are still out there. The, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to communicate and cut through to an American public. But the other thing that I want to repeat here is that the polling data shows that very high number, very high percentage of Americans do not trust what Trump says about this pandemic. I think the the most recent with Gallup poll was 60%. I mean, a lot of those people may still vote for Trump. They may not trust or believe what he's telling them about the pandemic. They may they may choose to to look beyond that and still vote for Trump. But I'm not sure that the the alternate reality that was created at that convention is going to carry forward uh, against the continued daily onslaught of facts 
coming forward about this. And as we, if we're going to cross the 200,000 mark um, as we head into the fall, and who knows where we're going to be on November 3rd, we could be close to 300,000 deaths. Steve, finally, I want to ask you, much of what the president said in his speech at the convention and what the vice president said in his speech, and of course, the vice president was the head of the, the coronavirus task force, much of what they both said and what the president's been tweeting since the convention ended has gone against what his own health advisors are saying. Do you think that that is going to continue? And does that render, you know, really what Fauci and Burks and others are doing as, as you know, quite impotent? That's a hard question. I mean, I think what people find most disturbing of late is the degree to which Stephen Hahn, the head of FDA, the commissioner for the Food and Drug Administration, the degree to which he has been bent to the political will of the president for for just blatantly political purposes, sacrificing the science and the and the reputation and legitimacy of the FDA, and I think that that that's somewhat shocking. And if that continues, if it continues, I mean Peter Marks, who heads the division that makes the judgments around vaccines at the FDA. As all of this was unfolded, Peter Marks made a statement that said, if I'm forced to approve something that I don't feel comfortable with, I will resign. Now, he can be overruled by the secretary or by the president. He could make a judgment and then it is rejected and overruled. And I assume that's what he's, that's what he's talking about. And I think that those who are continuing to fight, those who are in the key health positions, who are continuing to fight as we move forward, are doing so with the expectation that as we move towards a vaccine, that there's still going to be space for them to have impact on what happens. There's advisory commissions that are looking at this stuff. There's the national academies. There's industry. There's many, many, many different powerful voices to support them around the idea of let's not make a huge mistake here. And so they're not giving up. They're not resigning. We do not, we have not seen mass resignations. I think we could conceivably begin to see resignations coming forward. But with every resignation, you, you have a decline of capacity and a decline of voice. And so it's, a, it's not a clear-cut case around, you know, uh, some people will say, well, my, perhaps feel begin feeling more and more uncomfortable about being part of the administration. But we haven't reached that point yet where people are resigning. Steve, this has been a really important discussion. We definitely learned a lot from your insight. Thanks, and, and we'll be back next week with more. Thanks, Andrew.